You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good evening, everybody. It's so great to have you with us uh, for this special Christmas at Calvary service. Uh, thank you for joining us. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here, if we haven't had a chance to meet. And uh, at some point tonight, make sure you get a picture, selfie, whatever it might be. And feel free to tag us on Instagram, Facebook, or MySpace. Uh, if you have that, any MySpace folks out there, you won't raise your hand, I know. I wouldn't either. Um, I'm just joking. Uh, you guys aren't as, as, as uh, excited about MySpace as last service, but... Uh, real quick, uh, if you have kids, we have a video uh, f- that Pastor Ron has put together that you can, uh, your kids can enjoy during the message, and it's the same time. So if you have a device, something like that, you can scan the QR code that you were given when you came in. Or if you're watching online or you didn't get it, you can just go to ckchristmas.calvaryirwin.com and access the video. So if you want to enjoy that video that way, uh, it's a great video, Pastor Ron, a bunch of different characters telling the Christmas story. So you can uh, participate that way with your kids. I also wanted to celebrate something really cool. Every year, uh, one of the many things we do at Christmas to serve our community and to help those in need is we have our Christmas Cares program. Through that program, we, we uh, provide gifts for families in need, uh, children that don't qualify elsewhere, And uh, this past year, this Christmas, we were able to uh, help 65 children with 36 sponsors and provide 14 meals. So I just want to say thank you for being a church that is willing to go to the, to the, to the edges of their resources to serve and to support and to help those in need. Uh, that's on top of what we've been able to do with Toys for Tots and so many other things. So thank you so much for, uh, for being part of that. For those of you that were sponsors, just so appreciate that. And last thing, next Sunday, uh, January 1st, as Michael and Pastor, Pastor Michael and Mike said, uh, we're kicking off a new series. Uh, it's called A Church without walls, and uh, I'm so excited to be sharing this message series in January because this is really our passion, our heartbeat as a church, that we want to be a church that isn't defined by what happens in these walls, but what is defined by how we send people outside of these walls. Because we want to be a church that's not just about gathering, but about going, about making a difference in the community and the region around us. So uh, hope you can join us uh, January 1st throughout the month of January as we talk about what a church without walls looks like, how we can be that kind of a church. Uh, now, how many of you guys like Christmas movies? Any good Christmas movie fans? A few of you. Uh, Hopefully you're not the Hallmark Christmas movie type because, you know, I, I judge and stereotype. Um, but, but there is this movie, uh, Christmas movie, it's a classic now. It came out in 1989. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's called National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <clears throat> no one's heard of it. I am, I'm sorry. Um, sometime maybe you can, you can watch it. Well, it was released in theaters, and uh, it, it features the Griswold family and, of course, Clark Griswold's master plan to provide what most people really long for their family, a memorable day to celebrate family and all that's right with the world. If you haven't seen the movie, Clark goes to some great lengths to achieve that goal. He, he, uh, one of my favorite scenes, he goes out in the middle of nowhere with his family. They drive their, their big uh, station wagon out there, and he finds this tree, the perfect tree that he wants to take home to be their Christmas tree. He didn't bring anything to cut it down with, so he just like rips it out of the ground, straps it to his uh, station wagon, and drives it home. Uh, or, or, or later, where he, uh, he, he attaches 25,000 lights to his house and lights the whole place up. 
Uh, he goes to some incredibly great lengths, uh, has some humorous attempts, all to bring his family together for Christmas. And while things never seem to fall in Clark's favor throughout the movie, his hope was to try and capture the true heart of Christmas for the sake of his family. And, and while it's a really funny movie, to, and it's funny to watch Uncle Eddie uh, cause a mess of the place, or, or Uncle Lewis burn the Christmas tree down, uh, our families really aren't that much different when you think about it than the Griswolds. We want Clark Griswold, what well, Clark Griswold won for his family, a special magical day, right? Like tomorrow isn't just another day. We want it to be special for our family. But then uh, when something happens or things fall short, we find ourselves so disappointed, so dejected. We're chasing something that Christmas was never meant to be. You see, what if, what if what makes Christmas so special isn't this magical feeling we get on this one day, but how you live the rest of the days of the year? The first Christmas was anything but magical if you look at it. The real impact of what took place that cool evening in Bethlehem wasn't really even realized until days after Christmas, that first Christmas. And, and the same is true today. What, what happened on that first Christmas you know, doesn't just change how you're going to celebrate Christmas tomorrow, but it has the potential to change how you live the day after Christmas and the days after Christmas and throughout the rest of the year. This is what makes the story of the first Christmas so incredibly interesting and intriguing. Like, it is such a common, normal story where a baby is born and then there's an announcement. Like, we've seen that with family and friends throughout our lives. But, but that's where things kind of get different and interesting. This memorable, remarkable moment that unfolds as uh, the birth of Jesus is recorded by the gospel writer Luke. And if you're not familiar with scripture, there's two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the second half of the Bible, which is the New Testament, there are these books right at the beginning called the Gospels. And Luke is part of the Gospels. And Luke records this. And before we dive into the story, I want to kind of set the context uh, tonight. There was this group of shepherds out in the fields. And, and I know you hear that, you kind of glaze over, you've heard this story a million times. But, but, but this is important. Important, uh, to not glaze over because the shepherds were not just uh, the, the, the group that you would handpick to, to share information with if you wanted to be passed on. Because very few people listened to shepherds in that society at that time. Uh, they didn't really, weren't the, the wise people. They weren't the influencers. They weren't the people that people listened to. Uh, in fact, most people in the first century would ignore much of what a shepherd was saying. And so this doesn't make sense, like this isn't the way it's supposed to go. And so this marginalized group of men are out in the fields on the outskirts of Bethlehem on a fairly routine evening. As they look out over their herds and, and enjoy some good conversations with, with each other, the sky, sky lights up. And it lights up in a moment that they would never forget. And Luke records this moment, thankfully, in Luke chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what it says. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Could you imagine? It's pitch black. There's no lights. And all of a sudden, boom. It was scary. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And the angels didn't share, you know, the typical stats you hear after a birth, uh, after a baby is born, like, you know, how much the baby weighed. We don't know how much the baby weighed. We don't know how long the baby was or the exact time the baby was born. We don't know any of that stuff. They're not sharing like those normal stats. What they were sharing was what this baby, this child was going to become. Like what this child represented. And what's really cool uh, in this verse that, that we just read there, verse 11, is this is the only place in the entire New Testament where we read the full scope of who Jesus was to become. 
All in one verse, Jesus is referred to as a savior, as a Messiah, and a Lord. And you might think, well, that's really repetitive. Like, why would you have all three of those? But they're, they're not the same. These are three separate titles uh, that, that are mentioned. And uh, the angel is really giving these titles that Jesus would carry and fulfill. First, that he would be one to save the world. And, and, and that idea to save the world, he's going to save the world, is something that would have been really common for kings of that day. You hear this, politicians, they're going to sh- save the world or turn the world around. Uh, that was pretty common. But what was not common was Messiah. Messiah was this really unique term that literally meant he was the anointed one, that he would be God's final king. And in calling him the Messiah, the angels were meaning that this was a different kind of a king that's going to be, that was born. He's not a king that's anointed by a priest or a prophet. No, he was a king that was anointed and appointed by God himself. And lastly, that he would be Lord, meaning that he would have the authority and influence over this world. And while the timing and nature of this announcement seemed, could have seemed kind of random to these shepherds, I promise you the moment they heard what was said, they immediately recognized it. Because what the angels said to those shepherds that night was good news, but it wasn't new news. It was something that had been written by the prophet Isaiah over 700 years earlier. And what Isaiah wrote and part of what the angels said had been shared and recorded and repeated thousands of times over by Jews over the course of 700 years. And upon hearing this announcement, the shepherds would immediately, in their minds, known what was happening, that the time had finally come for the one Jewish society, all of Jewish society, were waiting for, that this Savior, this Messiah, had been born. Now, uh, when, when, this, when this prophecy, when Isaiah wrote uh, what was shared there, uh, Israel at that time wasn't in a good place. In fact, they were under uh, oppression by the, the current superpower of that day, the Assyrians. And, and as a side note, when Jesus was born and fulfilled this, uh, Israel was once again under oppression of that current superpower, which was Rome. And, and into the darkness of the, the Assyrian oppression, 700 years before Jesus was born, God speaks this message of hope through Isaiah. He, he's essentially saying, hey, you're in a really difficult place. Like Things are really dark. Things aren't going well, but there's something big on the way. There is a deliverer coming. A king, a son is going to be born to you. So some 700 years before this magnificent announcement is made by these angels in the fields that night, the prophet Isaiah would write these words that sound so familiar, so similar to what the angels said as they would declare from their heavenly platform that night. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Now, Jesus didn't come just to be a religious figure or a teacher or a rabbi because none of those have anything to do with government. No, he came and he was born as a king. A king because the government will be on his shoulders. Isaiah's writing here, he's, he's gonna be a king and, and he goes on, he said, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's as if The declaration made in Luke chapter two by these shepherds, to these shepherds by the angels, was a 700 year echo that began with Isaiah and still continues to today. In this this short verse, Isaiah gives us these four names that this son was to be called. And and, and these weren't names that were meant to be like uh, referenced uh, to him. Like there's nowhere in the New Testament that anyone actually called Jesus by these names. No one uh, ever called him, hey, mighty 
God or, or, or uh, everlasting father. But, but what Isaiah is trying to get at here, what he's intending to do, is he's ultimately revealing the character of this king, who this king would be and what he would do, that this king was going to be different. And he's, he's trying to write that this king was going to be a wonderful counselor, that his wisdom and his teaching would transcend all wisdom and teaching, everything that preceded him and would follow him. He would show us a new way of living, a way that would lead to a fuller life, a more purposeful life, a more meaningful life. And then he would teach us things so countercultural about some of the most compelling aspects of our faith. That, that in that day, it would often enrage the religious people. And, and can I tell you, even today, it often enrages religious people. He would teach things like, you can't claim to love God, yet, yet fail to love your neighbor. And I, I can't think of a more compelling statement about our faith than that one statement. He, he taught us that belief is only part of the equation, that you have to participate and put your faith to work as part of the kingdom he came to establish. He, he, he would teach us that there's actually strength in weakness. Strength and weakness. Uh, that because when we are weak, we can lean into God's strength. He, he tells the belief uh, is so important and, and th- that there's nothing in this world that will fulfill us. You know, we can chase so many things from money to status, titles, uh, to, to success. We can chase all these things, but in the end, there's nothing that can fulfill us like Jesus does. And he taught us this crazy counterintuitive idea that there's even life in death. In fact, Jesus posed this question. He posed the question, what good is it to gain everything if you lose your soul? And this wonderful counselor would teach us these things, would grow us and stretch us, would challenge us and lead us and prepare us and guide us and show us this way that leads to a fuller life. You see, this king would actually want what's best for you and for me. This king would be different. And and Isaiah goes on. He said that the child would be a mighty God. Jesus came humbly. He was meek and he was mild. But don't, don't let that fool you. While he may have been meek and mild, at the same time, he was mighty and majestic. Yeah, Jesus took on human flesh, but in doing that, he was still fully God in every way. And, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to surrender my life to a tiny little God. I, I don't want to surrender my life to a God that, that seems lesser. No, I want to surrender my life to a mighty God, a mighty God that is for you, a mighty God that is with you, a, a mighty God that wants to walk with you and be your strength. Now, I don't know if you remember the movie Lion King. Uh, it's a little-known movie that came out a few years ago. And in Lion King, there's this scene where Simba and Nala go to the, the elephant graveyard. Even though Mufasa told them not to, they still go, should have listened, but they go anyway. And, and while they're walking through this, this really eerie place, Simba starts trying to show off for Nala. And as he's trying to show off for Nala, uh, the hyenas show up. And things get a little scary. And uh, the hyenas start chasing Simba and Nala around this, this uh, elephant graveyard. And finally, they corner uh, Simba and Nala. And, and Simba decides he's going to show himself. And he's going to, like, rear up and, and, and roar. And so he, he gets back in the corner and he roars, but it sounds more like a yelp. It was pretty helpless. It's pretty sad. And then, then he decides, hey, he's going to try this again. He gears up to do it again. But this time, it's this massive, intimidating roar. And, and the hyenas are frightened and confused. And they run off. And, and they're, they're out of there. And, and, and as Simba's kind of sitting there, he's thinking, man, I didn't even know I had that in me. And then, then the screen pans out. And you see Mufasa step out from the background. This 
This is the mental picture I have in my mind of a mighty God that came for me, a mighty God that, that, that wants to be my strength, a mighty God that wants to be my anchor. This is a mighty God that wants to pull me through even when circumstances don't pan out the way I thought they would. A mighty God that promised to be with us all the way to the very end of the age. You see, Isaiah is writing in these verses that this king was gonna be different. He would be different. Isaiah went on and he, he, he called him everlasting father. Now, don't get confused here. Like Isaiah's not talking about God the father, or heavenly father. He wasn't mixing metaphors here. Instead, he's trying to communicate the heart of this new king that was to be born. I love that this comes right after mighty God because you've, you've got mighty God so big and so powerful. Mighty God who's fully God all the time, but yet he is personal and loving at the same time. My big, this big, mighty God, yet he sees me, he hears me, he cares for me. This is the God that we serve, this, this mighty God, he cares about the details of your life. And, and I love this, he doesn't just love you, he actually likes you. This king would come not to offer you religion, he came to offer you so much more than that. He came to offer you relationship. He didn't come to sit on the throne and, and spew decrees out from a distance. No, he's a king who came down to intimately know you and intimately know me. This king actually wants to spend time with you and me because this king would be different. And then Isaiah gets to the final name for this new king. Isaiah said he would be called Prince of Peace. And, and it's fitting that this name is the end because it's the climax of all four of these names. He, he was saying that this king was sent into the world to reconcile you and me to God. Maybe you know this, but maybe you don't. There's this thing called sin. And sin has separated us from God. It, it made us incompatible with God like Oil and water, or like Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Like, they don't mix, right? Or, or, or like Apple and Android. And, and if you're not, you know, follow me here, Android sin in this illustration, okay? Uh, it made us incompatible with God. But then, then here's the deal. Jesus came, and not simply to be born, not simply, you know, to start a religion. No, he came to ultimately die on the cross for your sins and for my sins so that we could be made compatible with God. He reconciled us to God so that sin no longer gets in the way. The Apostle Paul would write in, in the, in, to, the, to the Colossians that our sin ultimately made us enemies to God. I don't know about you, I, God's the last one I wanna be an enemy with. But this Prince of Peace came that we might live at peace in harmony and relationship with God. This king was born to die ultimately as a sacrifice for you and me. But soon after his death, he would once again do the impossible, giving our faith this immovable foundation as he would walk out of the grave. And his resurrection became this exclamation point in his defeat over sin and, and death. And because of this, whoever puts their faith in Jesus can live ultimately in perfect, unhindered relationship with their heavenly father for now and, and forever. This Prince of Peace has done that for you and for me. So, so if you've ever felt like God was mad at you, you need, you, need, you need to know because of the Prince of Peace, he's not. If you've ever felt like you've messed up too much, that your sin is just too ugly, your story is too far gone, can I tell you? You haven't because of the work of the Prince of Peace. 
If you've ever wondered, is it too late to come back? Can I tell you it's not because the Prince of Peace has made a way for you and for me. And it doesn't stop there because not only did he come to create peace between us and God, he came to show us a way to live at peace with others. You see, the barometer of the peace we have with God is seen in the amount of peace we have with those around us. And, and, and uh, this is the deal. You can't have it both ways. The Apostle Paul actually says this. He says, you can't claim to love God but still hate people. Still hate your neighbor. If you claim to love God but can't live at peace with others, John says, you're a liar. Now, those are his words, not mine. That's what he says. And so the Prince of Peace came to be a model of this amazing way and pathway of peace. See, this king that Isaiah is writing about would be different. A wonderful counselor who guides his people. A mighty God who strengthens his people. An everlasting father who loves his people. A prince of peace who saves his people. And so we come back to this moment in Luke chapter 2. In the fields with the shepherds. This announcement takes place. And, and it wasn't just a random announcement. But one that made, was made in the context of hundreds of years of history and waiting. The time had finally come in the town of David. A savior has been born to you, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, a, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. He has been born to you and to me. And Christmas commemorates the miraculous reality that this king of kings has been made accessible. He made himself accessible to us. You see, this king has come down to earth to be accessible to us, but not only to us, but also to your neighbor and to your kids and to your mom and your dad and to your coworkers, to those far from God, to the outsider, to the sinner, to the marginalized, to those that can't even fathom they would be on God's radar. A savior has been born to you. So, so now what's left for you and for me? What, what's, our, what's our response in all of this? Be, because from a human perspective, from a human perspective, this king beat all the odds. A king born the way he was born, a king who, who dwelt and served and sacrificed with, for his people, a king killed at the hands of his own people. That's not how things are supposed to go. That's not how it should go. But this king was different. This king didn't remain dead because this king came to establish a kingdom that would last forever. And, and today, this king named Jesus invites you and me to follow him, to be part of the kingdom he is building. A kingdom not bound by geographic boundaries or human li li limitations. A kingdom that was established to be an other's first kingdom where we serve and help others. So on this Christmas Eve, what is your response to this king's invitation? As Isaiah writes in the shepherds experienced, this king has made himself accessible to us. So what's your response to that king? What, what is your response to the grace that he so freely gives us with nothing to earn, nothing to prove, nothing to clean up before you come to this king? And if his entry into the world didn't show you that he isn't afraid to step into the mess, I don't know what else could. So he's here. He's accessible. The question is, will you receive it? Will you surrender? Will you follow? Will you accept the invitation of a king that has been born unto you? And this isn't about a religious thing. This is about saying, I am willing to follow this king. This king that's not a king of an earthly kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom that is here to change the world, to turn the world upside down, which is what it has been doing for 2,000 years. 
Are you willing to accept the invitation to this kingdom by this king? And I would encourage you today, this Christmas weekend, if you're like, man, I, I need to make that, I need to accept that invitation. This isn't a religious thing. This is saying, I wanna follow the king. I would encourage you. You don't have to pray some super spiritual, high priestly prayer. All you have to do is be, say, God, I wanna accept your invitation to follow you and begin doing what he asks you to do in his word and what he speaks to you and he challenges you to do. That's what God wants for your life, not just to, to get through, but to, to live a life and life to the full. That's what he came to establish. As we prepare to close this morning, this evening, we're gonna, we're gonna sing a song, Silent Night. You can stand with me this evening. In a moment, we're gonna be lighting our candles and singing this song as we close out this special Christmas at Calvary service. As we step into the kingdom, God's desire for each and every one of us isn't that we just exist. It isn't that we just become these religious pawns in his big game. It's that we can become a light in the darkness, that we can be those that step into the difficult and, and the struggles of our world and be part of its healing and redemption. That's what God has called us to as members of his kingdom, as part of his family. Let's, let's, let's sing this song together as we prepare to close this evening. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for Christmas at Calvary and from our family to yours, Merry Christmas. We pray that tomorrow and this coming new year will be a year of God's favor, blessing, and goodness, not just for you, for all those around you, that God will bless you so that you can bless others. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday as we kick off a new series here at Calvary. Have a wonderful evening and a very Merry Christmas. God bless you all. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 